Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 106, Storm on the Horizon, interview with Sylvia McKelvey. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that talks about the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. I'm Scott Mitchell here with John Potts. And we are honored today to introduce to you author Sylvia McKelvey. Sylvia is the author of Storm on the Horizon. This is a fascinating book. I've got to tell you, it's one of the best I've read on just great factual evidence about UFOs. Uh, The subtitle is The New Age, UFOs, and the Cosmic Christ. Sylvia, welcome to Bible Mysteries. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, we are so glad and blessed that you could join us today. I got to tell you, your book was one of those that I couldn't put down. And, you know, for for a non fiction type book, uh, or, or for, uh, um, you know, sometimes nonfiction books can be kind of like whatever. <laughs> but uh, every bit of evidence you provided here was just so fascinating, I couldn't put it down. And then you draw some wonderful conclusions at the end. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I understand you're out in California, but give us some of your background, if you would. Well, yes, definitely out here in uh, sunny California. It's very warm today, but, you know, um, better that than rain, yes. Um, <laughs> But uh, yes, I have been a researcher for about 30 years now, and as a Christian, um, I was raised in a very um, Christian-oriented family. My father was a uh, Bible study, um, I guess you call them superintendents of Sunday school now, I think, also. So we were in um, Sunday school every Sunday, and so that started at a very young age for me. Um, so I think that was also something that helped spur on my interest in researching these uh, New Age groups and uh, things that not necessarily were a heavy and occult, and certainly not when I first started, was the UFOs. But it definitely was a uh, stepping stone to researching other things that ultimately led to me writing this book. Wow. So really, one of my questions I was going to ask you was, you know, how you came to be an investigator for MUFON. But before you answer that, I obviously had another question. Did you come to faith in Christ before or after your work? Well, obviously, based on what you just shared with me, then you were you had a faith in Christ before you ever began researching UFOs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Fascinating. What what an amazing uh, background to start with, where so many others that don't have such a faith experience could begin investigating the so-called paranormal and could be led to some really strange conclusions. But let's back up to that first question. How did you come to be an investigator for MUFON? Well, it wasn't uh, something I set out to do, actually. Um, As I said, I had been doing some research on uh, New Age movement, and uh, at that time it started in 1982 um, with a report in a newspaper. Actually, it was in newspapers all around the world that the Christ was back and he was among us once again. Mm. And for those of you that might have um, been around during that time and remember that this was a big media push with uh, radio, television, newspapers announcing this new Christ who they were calling Maitreya being back here on earth once once again with us. So as a Christian, naturally that's going to get my attention. And uh, I started looking into that and finding out that there were so many people connected 
uh, in New Age movement that had the same uh, belief structure where they were looking for another uh, savior, I guess you would call them, rather than the one that we have, and that's mm -hmm. in Jesus. But um, that was just a beginning for me. And as I started to see how these groups were forming and how many things they had in common, even though they were coming at it from different um, beliefs and attitudes, they had still started working towards something that was going to happen on this planet that we all had to be prepared for. And eventually that also hooked into the UFO end of it. Now, again, I wasn't that impressed with it. You know, like I think most of us, we thought UFOs were kind of so-so, maybe yes, maybe no. But it wasn't until um, 19, I believe 1985, 1986, where it became more mainstream media. This was the report on the JAL um, UFO report from the Japanese pilot, JAL Airlines, oh. who actually made an FAA report, and it was published in the newspaper. And I thought... Well, there's probably a lot more to this than we actually realize. And that's when I began to look further into uh, people that were having experiences. It said they had a sighting of a UFO. And I thought the best way to do that would be go to the organization that was already heading up the research. And uh, that was MUFON. So I ended up joining at that time. And I, I think people need to understand also that with MUFON, especially when I joined it, it was very scientific prone. We had people from the SETI Institute and um, these type of genre that was part of our local group here. Um, but it is something that where you do have to study. They put you through a course. Um, you have to pass the course of understanding uh, before you can even be issued a card saying you're a MUFON investigator. So, you know, I think that that does lend a lot of credence to people do, who are out there for MUFON taking these reports because it is taken very seriously and very scientifically as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned Maitreya, the false messiah that was, uh, I didn't realize it was a, a big thing back in that year, a decade, you were talking about the 80s. I had, you know, was in college at that time and probably not paying much attention to any of this material. But as I understand it, Maitreya, it, now is that the term that's given for the Buddhist uh, so-called Messiah, or is that a New Age name? No, it's one of the names that are given to the Buddha Messiah or the Imamati for the Muslims. Um, it, he goes by various different names, but why they settled on that, I think, is because of their association with the Theosophical Society. And right. uh, there, a lot of their information and belief structure comes out of Buddhism. Uh, so that would just be a natural stepping stone for them to uh, promote the Maitreya Buddha as being back. Exactly. Yeah, so it's it's uh, very much involved in it, and I was surprised to see how it even transformed to him being back on Earth, to him now having a spaceship that is mm. orbiting our planet. So they haven't uh, shied away from the UFO uh, involvement at all. Was there some event that triggered all of this, or did someone just come up with it and they started promoting the idea? I mean, how did this come about? For the Maitreya, my understanding is that it kicked off at a certain uh, date based on the uh, what they were calling the New Age beginning, that cycle. Uh, we were leaving the Piscean Age and going into uh, the Aquarian Age. So oh, right. when that happened, with their, however they measured out with their astronomy, I believe, uh, is when they decided to say, this is the time now we're going to go forward with announcing uh, this being being here on our Earth. 
Wow. Well, it's, it's fascinating that you and even other authors I've been reading recently are drawing a similar conclusion or connection, I should say, between UFO-type activity, abductions, and uh, the appearances and in, in frequency occurring, and that connection between the rise in occult and spiritism, and you mentioned the Theosophical Society. Would you mind kind of just briefly for our listeners who may not know what that is and the history of Madame Blavatsky and all the rest, can you give just a very short synopsis of that for us? Well, yeah, it was the uh, an occult belief structure that uh, was made popular from Madame Blavatsky, um, Russian I guess she emigrated here at one point, but it was based again on these belief structures of this Maitreya and this returning Christ. Um, it came to our country in the early 1800s, and from there it um, took off through the Theosophical Society, and in particular through Alice A. Bailey, who was a member and promoter. Yeah. She was um, one also that was approached by, quote, their ascended masters to actually write out the whole uh, synopsis of what's going to happen on our new age. Uh, mm -hmm. And that took uh, the form of 24 books that were published through her own publishing company, which was a Lucis Trust, still in existence today. Mm -hmm. But at that time, uh, in the 20s, it was referred to as Luc Lucifer Trust. Right. So obviously, yeah, they had a change in name, uh, I guess, for better <laughs> press. But yeah. she had 24 books under the influence of a spirit master that was telling her about getting ready for this new Christ coming forward and what people had to do. What was interesting also, going back way to the 1920s and taking dictation from the spirit master, is that they said they would involve themselves in three specific areas, and that would be politics, religion, and education. And wow. I think if we look at what we're viewing today, I think they have done their work well in that regard. And uh, in in ways that they concentrated their efforts in getting this new type of uh, social behavior and thinking that's become pretty commonplace. Absolutely. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong on two points about her. One, this is pretty scary too. Wasn't she a school teacher? She was actually the wife of a minister. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, okay. that's pretty frightening too. It was uh, Probably not the best of uh, a grouping, but I can see where there was probably some resentment after getting out of and, and away from him in the church that this to her was a natural, um, a natural next step because she wanted something different. And of course, there's also always these beings waiting for that opportunity as well. Yeah. And she was approached also by a spirit master that told her she had an important work to do. And that this work would involve her eventually writing these books. So uh, sad to say, she left the confines of being raised in a Christian home, marrying a, a minister, to now becoming a, one of the key people who are actually working against the crusade for Christ. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard that's also true uh, in a similar way of Aleister Crowley, who was the son, I believe, of a Christian minister who went on to become the rebellious the most evil man in the world, he yeah. built himself at one point and did much to promote Satanism. Yeah, unfortunately, you can see that with uh, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the people that do end up getting into the occult or the, the supernatural end of it. Is, and this is something I think as Christians and ministers especially should be aware of that oftentimes they are not getting their needs met 
in a church or mm -hmm. they've had a bad experience in a particular church. Mm -hmm. And it could be because they've had this association somehow with the occult. So if the churches aren't prepared to listen to these people, to help them, to guide them, and to number one, to take them seriously, we'll lose them. They will yeah. go on yes. to the occult side that will be more than accommodating to believe them and encourage them in that walk. That's exactly right. There's a huge movement among young people, especially that they go to church with their parents mm -hmm. or whatever their friends, and they just don't feel like they're getting answers to the questions that, that they're looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because churches, a lot of churches are just not talking about it for whatever reason. They don't want to scare people off or whatever, but mm -hmm. young people go in there looking for answers. They either get treated like they're, crazy or whatever, or they just don't give them the answers. So then they go to the new age movement who's ready to yeah. give them all kinds of answers. No, yeah. unfortunately not the right answers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So. And I've seen that happen actually. And it, it's yeah. very, very sad. And, and you bring up a very good point that our churches are really not talking about the supernatural, which is actually what our whole Christianity is based on. When you look at our savior and everything he did here and the type of, of savior that he is. It's all based in uh, many ways on the supernatural. But I, I think that is uh, probably what I see happening more and more is that there is a shine away from having even sermons based on that. You know, when's the last time you heard about Peter being released from prison? You know, it's just like they skirt around things that have a supernatural connotation yeah. to them. And I think that could possibly be one of the signs that we're in now, as far as maybe not having the good meat and potatoes that we should have of our, our Christianity. And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people are going to church and they're feeling like they're just not being fed that uh, I've, I've been to several churches recently and um, a lot of them seem to have, they've gone from doing their preaching into Bible study and there's people that are sitting there hurting from week to week or they have needs that need to be met. And, you know, just going through the book of Matthew maybe is not going to help them. So, you know, I, I have to applaud you, number one, for being a minister who is brave enough, I should say, to step out there and to take on this subject and to be able to deal with people and the saved and the unsaved, because that's exactly what Jesus would do. That's very kind praise, and I thank you for that. And and I'll tell you, I, I still, to this day, um, you know, I, I get sent books, So and, and usually they're from people I know. But your book just showed up one day, and, and I don't know how I got it other than to say the Lord <laughs> directed me to it, because uh, normally I would go purchase these books, but uh, this one, uh, it, it sat in a stack for a while because I had quite a few uh, before it. And when I finally got to this, I went, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this was about this. You know, and the timing couldn't have been more perfect. So the Lord's timing, uh, as always. And then once I started it, I, I couldn't put it down. Um, and, and so we're going to get to, the, to the, the reason for the title and everything here shortly. But I got to tell you, Sylvia, you really hit something on the head about this topic not being wanting to be discussed uh, in churches today, because uh, even we were discussing earlier that we know there's a certain age demographic that probably can't even grapple or grasp 
the spiritual significance of these things. They hear aliens and UFO abductions and they think, oh, those are wacky people, you know, some strange, you know, guy out in the field that nobody believes. But they don't realize how real and tangible these things are and how it ties into the dark spiritual realm that the Bible talks about. Can, can you, do you think that's part of the deception is the church is dismissing it because the devil does not want us to dis explore what he's doing? Oh, absolutely. It's much nicer just to talk about the other things and um, have more of a social club than a, an actual, you know, educational Bible teaching situation. Yeah. And naturally, the devil doesn't want the, the publicity. So let's move on to something else in, in topics. So yeah. it, it makes sense to me. And we are told that there is going to be a falling away from the faith and right. this could be beginning stages of that. Um it is just uh, everything that's been coming out recently that has to do either with the occult. Um, certainly, we've all seen the ghost hunting shows on TV. Yeah. has become more mainstream now, and it's like a hobby, um, which to me is just really kind of interesting that they, they will. Well, it's interesting also that if you were to talk to these people, just kind of getting off the subject here, but the ones that are doing the ghost hunting, let's say, mm -hmm. um, they don't take seriously what they feel that they're encountering as if they have some ultimate control over it. Yeah. The reason I don't think that they have encountered something terribly, you know, demonic in that respect is that, you know, Satan doesn't want bad press. So he's not being really nasty, but certainly capable of doing it. But yeah. at the same time, I've heard these people often sit down and say, oh, you should never, ever, ever use a Ouija board. That's very, very true. Yeah. But at the same time, they're walking around uh, doing their investigations with electronic Ouija boards. You know, they're yeah. that communication. Trying to stir the pot of the spiritual realm, not something I, I think is a good idea. Um, so really, you you draw the conclusion in Storm on the Horizon that there there really is a very striking connection between the uh, occult activity and a and a sudden uptick or resurgence or or increase in so called UFO activity. Right? You see, there's a connection between those two. I definitely do. And and what kind of surprised me when I was getting into it, um, also in trying to do the backstories of these people who have had experiences and have sightings, and they're well known. And mm -hmm. for the most part, I've let them speak for themselves. I wanted it just to be in their own words and what they felt they encountered. Right. Um, but a lot of them, whether it was before or after or during, had some association with occult experiences, yeah. uh, visitations, ghosts, hauntings, these types of things, which didn't come out necessarily when they're talking about the, the UFO topic. So I have a section in the book where I kind of give backstories on that that I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that so many of them um, always seem to equate it with something that was going to be good for mankind. You know, it was never anything negative about it. Right. Um, there are some some stories and some reports in that, and I've had a few where there has been some very bad encounters and very frightening things have happened to people. Right. But for the most part, when they're promoting um, a lot of the UFO topic and speakers, it's always about something that we're all getting prepared for. And I think the one group that has done the most to prepare humanity to to that type of thinking um, is a group, you know, and we see them on TV all the time, the ancient aliens. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
they have done more to promote the arrival and the expectance of our space brothers, our creators coming yeah. back to Earth and and trying to equate everything that they, they find, archaeologically speaking, as being part and parcel of them being here, the gods that were here before. Yeah. Um, and they boldly say, well, they were here before and they're coming back. So right. you know, there's, you know, after a while, that is going to sink into society to where everybody's going to start thinking the same thing. I, I agree. I think it's going to be the 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 dominant paradigm that's going to eventually replace things like evolution and Big Bang Theory because ultimately they're they're saying the exact opposite on these ancient alien shows and and John and Sylvia I, I think you've seen them they're saying that uh, religious encounters of angels were actually encountering UFOs or aliens whereas to me it's the opposite it is the angels the fallen ones that are going to come back and claim to be the ancient ancestor aliens that seeded us mm -hmm. and that uh, panspermia theology or, or philosophy or whatever they want to call it I think is going to be the science of that time it, it'll be part of that deception Right, I absolutely agree with that. Um, the fact that they put them in the the creator category uh, mm -hmm. takes away any kind of a threat, you know, estimate from them in that regard. Although, you know, their view and the government view sometimes do do not necessarily mesh in that regard. But yeah. again, if you look at the, what they're they're actually presenting to the public when they go to these ancient um, burial grounds or ancient cities. It's interesting to me that they pretty much take everything that's there and make it fit their narrative. Yeah. Whereas if you look in, into it deeply and actually study the ruins and the culture and what happened there, uh, of these amazing uh, societies, they're gone. What happened to them? They're in ruins. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if you study their culture, they'll find out a lot of the cultures. In fact, everyone that they've mentioned so far that I've researched, and I, I mentioned that in my book, Every one of those cultures all um, had human sacrifice as That's a form right. of culture to appease these gods. So if these were the gods that came before and they advocated, uh, you must have human sacrifice to us. I mean, I, I mentioned too, do you really want them to come back? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I'm not sure I do. <laughs> The blood, the blood sacrifice. Oh, yeah, the uh, passing children in the fire to Moloch. I mean, that's right around the corner if it's not already present in the abortion industry. Yeah. Uh, speaking of children, Sylvia, um, of course, in, in all of your evidences that you provide in the book, uh, the encounters are not just adults, they're children, too. And um, I don't recall if you specifically um, addressed this encounter in the book, and I, I'm thinking that you did, but you're familiar with the children in Zimbabwe in the early 90s, was it, that they all saw this thing? Um, and I, I've seen where they've gone back and actually re-interviewed those children again as adults, and they all seem to recall this vision of um, the whatever was being placed into their brains telepathically by these aliens that they saw was about, you know, taking care of the planet. It, it sounds very much like the climate change agenda. Uh, do, did you sense the same thing that they're trying to give this take care of Mother Earth ideology as is now infiltrating in the political spectrum today? That has been a long time thing that has been noted with the, the Space Brothers. Um, and I, I did not reference these Zimbabwe children, but I am familiar with that, 
that mm-hmm. story. And <clears throat> it is often something that you'll you also hear within the new age cultures that, you know, our planet's dying, we have to save the earth and okay, I'm all for taking care of the planet or whatever, but it goes beyond uh, conservation to an actual spirituality where it's becoming a religion. Oh, yeah. um, and I think that that is again the the psychology involved in it is that these beings are concerned for us. You know, we're going to ruin our planet. We're going to blow it up because of our atomic weapons, and so they're going to be seen as some kind of um, helpers, if not saviors. Yeah. But the idea that you know this is all going on and it's all bad has to be planted first. So I think a lot of that has caught on. Whether you've been through the UFO uh, cycle to hear it from them, or if you've now gotten on the wagon to what everything now is conservation and uh, the green plan and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, so um, you talk a good bit in the book about these orbs and um, what do you believe the glowing orbs are? are? Are they drone scouts from other alien craft? Are they probes or, or are they some other type of information gathering entities? What has been your experience? Yeah, well, the orbs is, uh, that's a very, very fascinating subject in itself. In fact, I have one chapter devoted to that because, you know, you can talk of orbs as a uh, condensed energy. Um, Mm -hmm. People have equated them with spirits. They have equated them uh, with manifestations of beings. So if you look at all of the different variances that happens with these orbs, um, it's fascinating, and, it's, and the fact that to me, number one, my view might be a little bit different than most people on it, um, just from my research and, and my exposure to them, is that they are not, um, I do not believe that they are actual ships, like a saucer. Mm-hmm. I believe that they are actually a living thing. And what has made me think that is that oftentimes people have described their behavior and their behavior to me is almost like you would have a trained police dog, um, for lack of a better explanation. It seems like they do have some specific uh, things that they have to do, whether it's patrolling the planet, if they're, they're scouts, if they're keeping watch on things. But they're different from people who have actually encountered uh, an actual UFO craft. Mm. So they're very interesting that way. But I've... In my personal opinion, I think there's some kind of a, a life form. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. In the book, you actually took your own pictures of your own encounters or, or sightings, if you would, of orbs, uh, I think, from the airplane uh, and, and as well as maybe even in your, your um, home. Um, do you feel like these entities are, um, you know, uh, uh, Satan's attempt to hinder you in your work? Uh, were they were they malevolent towards you in any way? What was your own experience? Yeah, that that's very interesting because this hap- uh, these experiences happen at different years, you know, kind of far mm-hmm. apart from each other. The sighting that my husband and I had were of these orbs. There were 12 of them and uh, mm-hmm. right here in California. And I was actually coming back at the time I was working with MUFON, had just done an interview with someone who had had a sighting of their own mm-hmm. when we had this sighting. And that was another thing that got me thinking that the whole time I'm watching these these 12 objects that were actually coming very close to us. Mm-hmm. And one even hovered overhead. Um, is that this doesn't make sense? They don't act, and I can't see anything that 
that I would write down in my move-on book that described a craft of any sort. Um, They were like very well linked together as if they were just in perfect harmony with one another. I did see one, and I just wish my husband had been paying attention enough to see it, who was whipping around in front of us and actually did some kind of transformation where it just kind of puffed, puffed with a couple of bursts, almost like you see a popcorn kernel pop. And from that was this glowing glowing amber uh, mm-hmm. center to it. And then that faded away, and whatever this, this object was is what came towards us. But the whole time I'm looking up at it where it stopped overhead is that could not see the outline of a craft, just the swirling plasma type material. And I remember distinctly that there were waves coming off of it. You know, the type of waves you see on a street when it's really hot or on the hood of your car. And so I know it was generating a whole lot of energy, but it couldn't feel any heat coming off of it. So that was interesting to me, but the way that these orbs acted, and what they did and their size, I estimated them to be about 30 feet in diameter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were large. Okay. Did not fit the scenario of what you would think about a, a craft in the way that they, they acted. To me, it was something that just seemed to be very curious. And then they, they went on their way. Did you ever feel threatened by them? No, no, not threatened at all by them. And... You know, I was, of course, I was praying the whole time I was looking at this thing. <laughs> I would imagine I would uh, have been too. How long did this go on for? This was um, actually, it lasted two or three minutes. Uh, it was a pretty oh. long sighting as far as, you know, what people see. It was enough for us to, quote, have an experience there where we could observe uh, whatever these things were. In fact, my husband, I stayed in the, the car. That's where I had my little tiny camera taking a picture and hoping I would get something. But he was outside the car. And actually saw when this this object, whatever it was, came up and stopped overhead of our car. Mm-hmm. Took off. He said that he saw it had like a tail, like almost an amoeba with a tail to it. Mm-hmm. So here again, you're not talking about a you know contemporary craft of some sort. Exactly. Plus, it didn't sound like technology. It looked it, it was some kind of a sentient being, is, is yeah, what you're describing. There's something to that effect, but it did not feel threatened. Uh, we had our dogs with them. Our dogs weren't upset. There wasn't anything that changed for us as far as our time or anything. It was just pretty nondescript after that. But what was maybe uh, the most astounding thing is that after we had stopped, had lunch, an hour later, we're back on the road going through the valley. And we come up on the hillside, and I'd look up, and we see them again. And this time, we were able to observe that two had broken off. And this was now... Uh, an airplane approach area for uh, the airport in San Jose, California. And there was a commercial airliner coming in, and we saw two orbs to the tail section of the um, airplane. And they were bouncing up and down as if they were just surfing the jet stream. It was, to me, that just was something I thought, well, is this play or, or what is going on yeah, here? It almost makes you think of dolphin, dolphins in a wake of a ship. Right. You know, they're, the dolphins love to ride the waves. So to me, again, here I'm going, why is this happening? You know, this doesn't fit, again, the traditional sighting that you would see. But it's been right. reported many times that they do often follow airplanes. Um, they were certainly in a, an area that wouldn't cause harm to the plane and obviously couldn't be seen by the pilot or passengers, but they were there. 
Yeah. This may seem like an odd question, Sylvia, but do you think if, if these entities uh, are, are spiritual in nature, and it, it really sounds like it, it, they are, do you think that they could be um, positive, angelic-type entities as well as uh, satanic entities, or do you think that would be a disguise? Uh, looking playful, looking non-threatening might just be a disguise. Yeah, you know, I've uh, thought that one through a few times over, and I, and I go back to thinking about the fall itself, you know, when uh, Satan took third of the angels with him, well, were they all the same type of angels? Were they all archangels? You know, were they cherubim mixed in there too? So we have to acknowledge the fact that there are different types of angels. Yeah. So if, if this is some kind of sentient being, um, then it would make sense that there would be just the same as angels, that there would be God's angels and the devil's angels. Yeah. So it's possible that these could be in service to God in some respect, but also then they have the counterparts that are not so uh, accommodating. Exactly. And if you look back at the history of these orbs have been sighted for centuries. Um, right. There's also an account in the 1500s in Germany where there was a group of these objects in the sky that actually were fighting each other. They were right. having a, a battle, a huge battle, and this was documented twice. So that has me thinking, well, obviously there's some kind of disagreement there if these um, these objects are, are in some kind of bitter conflict with each other. So yeah. in that re respect, I think that's that's a possible possibility. Absolutely. Well, we know in the Bible there's the uh, evidence in the book of Daniel when I think it was Gabriel that came down to speak to Daniel. He said the prince of Persia withstood him, and uh, he was going to have to go back to fight with the prince of Grecia. So it could very well be that, that type of scenario. Yeah, it was such a bitter um, situation that Michael had to come and help him. Yeah. Yeah, so you, they're armies, right? I mean, that's yeah. what they're called. The God is the God of the Lord of hosts, and host is army. Uh, John, that sort of brings me to what I like to call the million-dollar question for you, Sylvia, and that is just strictly for your, from your opinion and your research, what is your take on the supposed different species of extraterrestrial beings such as greys, insectolins, reptilians, whatever, do you uh, think they are actual extraterrestrial sentient beings from other planets, or are they some form of a demonic or satanic deception? Yeah, that's a good question. There are different species being recorded, um, you know, from the, the Nordics down to the reptilians, um, praying mantis types, the greys. And I have kind of a different opinion on that than a, a lot of researchers I've known. Um, to me, you know, I believe there is a variety of them. Do I believe they are sentient beings from another planet? No. Mm -hmm. I do believe that they are demonic because of the history of their interaction with humans. Um, it's usually not a good situation. But what I also thought about when, and then I point this out in my book too, that there's another possibility in what I refer to as rogue elements. And these are beings that are out there doing kind of their own thing. And I'm thinking maybe they have some hostilities, you know, they obviously are not in favor of us humans. So there are some that have shown some outright hostilities towards even children. And mm -hmm. so I'm thinking, well, is it possible? And this is, I'll get you guys thinking on this. Is yeah. it possible that maybe even because God had a rebellion on his hand, that maybe Satan does also? 
So we'd be seeing some groups out there doing their own thing, and maybe they're trying to create their own beings um, in opposition to what Satan's doing. You just don't know, but it certainly raises um, some interesting questions. To hear the rest of our fascinating interview with Sylvia McKelvey, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast at biblemysteries.supercast.com. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com.